1: Hope you're having a great holiday week. I am off on adventures, so this is a best-of edition of the Clark Howard Podcast. I hope you enjoy it and that you have an enjoyable holiday week. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One of our main goals on this show is to help you avoid ripoffs. Well, there's no shortage of scams out there today. I'm going to share some with you straight ahead. And I also have an update, something I talked about with you a good while ago, I guess uh, two and a half years ago. I rented a storage unit when we downsized from our house to a condo, and I want to tell you my journey with the storage unit and things you should know to protect your own wallet as the storage unit business continues to explode. So scams come up constantly in my reading. These are all headlines I found in two days. First, blue tick scammers target consumers who complain on X formerly known as Twitter. Best Buy Scam Alert. People are pretending to be members of the Geek Squad. New Amazon scams are making the rounds. Here's how to avoid them. Scammers impersonate well-known companies recruiting for fake jobs on LinkedIn and other job platforms. FTC cautions consumers on heels of latest Zell scam. You got the apartment spot rental listing scams before you pay. And the losses consumers report, only the ones they report, 9 billion last year. I'm sure it's many times nine billion dollars. People are losing to scamsters because people don't even know who or where to complain. These scams all have a common theme that will become clear, is I give some of these examples some more meat. They all involve somebody impersonating someone else, hiding behind a wall of technology through social media, websites, emails, texts, phone calls, where you're never face-to-face with the individual or individuals involved in scamming you out of your money. They will usually create potentially a sense of urgency and will appeal either to fear or to greed most often. But sometimes it's just straight out simple fraud. And here's an example starting with the very first one I mentioned and that's the blue tick scam. So With the changes Elon Musk has been making at X, formerly known as Twitter, there's not really a good way for you to verify anymore that uh, someone representing that they're an organization is, in fact, that organization. And over the last, oh, I would say 10 years, people have learned to use social media as a way to try to solve a customer service problem They've been unable to solve otherwise. So because the way people used to feel like they really knew they were dealing with an actual company was they had the blue mark that said they were verified, they were the real deal, that doesn't work anymore. And now commercial enterprises have to pay X a huge fee for a different verification that, as I remember right, is kind of golden. And the blue check is not verified in any way by Twitter, by X. So what's happening is someone will complain about something, say an airline or any business, uh, technology company, phone company, whatever. And they you know post their beef. Criminals monitoring that with a fake blue check pretending to be the company will then start responding to you. And you're like, wow, this worked. My complaint on social media actually got somebody listening. And it's just setting you up as a target to scam you big time. The Twitter handles that are fake seem like they are from a company and the people being targeted the most according to the guardian are bank customers and airline customers who are getting totally rooked by the fraudsters who then get information from you and with that information they then are able to engage in the direct messaging platform they're able to get account information of various things from you. They might get payment data, whatever it is. And before you know it, before you know it, the scamsters are off to the races. And so know that complaining on X has become hazardous to your wallet's health and your identity because it is no longer a safe environment for you to know you're actually talking with a company because so few companies have been willing to pay what can be thousands and thousands of dollars a year to have identity verified by Twitter. They're like, forget it. And then that's laid you wide open to the scamsters. So anytime somebody is then responding to you and trying to get any kind of key information from you, slow down, take more time to see, are they actually real? Are they the real organization or not? And unfortunately, right now on X, odds are they're not the real thing. And I mentioned the Geek Squad thing where people pretend to be from Geek Squad and they get information from you, account information, whatever. Again and again, it's about fraudsters either getting information that allows them to steal your identity or steal your money. The Amazon scams are so big right now because so many people, obviously, are prime members. And I can talk about one after another, after another, after another. The core, the key, unless you specifically contact an organization at the address, phone number, website, Email, whatever that you know to be the real valid one, do not give personal information of any significance to anyone who contacts you. And one more I want to mention do not, under any circumstances, give anyone who pretends to be from tech support anywhere information about your computer that would allow them to hijack your computer and the information on it. That is an oldie but baddie that is back big time. Now, there are lots of good people out there. I'm sorry. You hear all these bad things and you start to think that people generally are bad. Most people are good, decent people. It's just there are a lot of crooks out there that you have to be prepared for And know that the anonymity that the modern digital era offers has made it so much easier for the criminals to con us. Grace? Hello, hello. And I'll mention again, Krista is out this week, so Grace is here.
0: We have a question here from Rick in Arizona. It seems every time I turn around, I get a small charge for data storage. iCloud, this, Dropbox, that, Google, Microsoft, Apple. Are all of these needed? What do you recommend for data storage?
1: So this is death of your wallet by a thousand cuts is if you look at your credit card statement or checking account statement, you see these debits again and again, month after month for Google Cloud Service and Apple Storage and one after another after another, you end up with a lot of money going out the door. And there are actually, within limits, some free cloud storage options. And we have a list at Clark.com. But my favorite, favorite is whether you use cloud storage or not, that you also have an SSD drive. You know what that means, Grace? No. Well, you see, you know what a hard, drive, a portable hard drive is. Well, now there are these much more advanced SSD drives that are teensy tiny. They're about the size or smaller of a typical smartphone, and they can store massive amounts of data on them, and they're portable, and you have them. So even if you use cloud storage, also it's really so simple To have a portable SSD drive, it's something I like for you to update maybe once a month, unless it's a business environment where people should back up every day. You want to have backup data. Let's say a hacker and ransomware thing locks down your computer. If at a business you're storing things on an SSD, you have a daily as a closeout every day. You have daily backup that goes in a firebox or in a safe. You want to have more than just cloud storage. And as far as the cloud storage costs, again, go look at our article at Clark.com for ways to reduce that cost.
0: This one is from Juanita in Florida. I recently purchased a car in April 2023. It's now late August and I'm no longer in like with this car. I would like to trade it in to get another one. But I will be so upside down. I do not know where to start. Can you give me any advice on how to go about trading my current vehicle to get another one? What's the best way to get some overage for the trading vehicle? Thank you, Uncle Clark.
1: So, Juanita, first things first, you're not going to like this. It's best for you since you're already in this vehicle. You're going to be horribly upside down to get out of it. Uh, Just look at it as transportation and ride it through. You know, it's very common that people will get a vehicle and later it's being like, wow, I thought that was a good idea. I hate this thing. But the consequences of ditching one you bought months ago is so brutal financially that I don't recommend you go into something where you're doing what they call a roll-in where you're rolling in the amount you're upside down into a new loan where you have enormous, what's known as negative equity, where you owe far, far more than what the vehicle is worth. So I would discourage you from trading in the one you've got on such short cycle and suffer through it because your wallet will benefit so much more from you just riding through with this thing
0: you don't like. Matt in Pennsylvania. I know you say never to get a whole life insurance for kids. Okay, we already have these for our two kids since they were little. They're 19 and 21 now. We have $10,000 policy and pay about $35 a year per policy. Do we keep this? What do we do?
1: So what I would recommend, they're now emerging into adulthood. The 19 and 21-year-old, soon as they may already be in the workplace, they may still be in education, maybe college or training, when they go into a workplace and they have demonstrable income, that would be when they should buy a level term insurance policy. The $10,000 policy, once somebody's working, that's not going to be adequate for replacement income for survivors. I mean, you know, you don't even have to buy insurance when they first start working. I mean, the purpose of insurance is to provide for those left behind. The policies that are pushed so much to parents of newborns are generally referred to often as burial policies. The visceral fear a parent has that their child may die young and the tragedy of that And the worry about making sure you could provide a good funeral and burial and things like that for your child is what's led to this thing of buying these life insurance policies on kids. And the purpose of life insurance is not for that. The purpose of life insurance is for those left behind so they have money to live on. So what do you do about these $10,000 policies? You've had them since they were tiny. The policies don't pay a lot at 10000 The premiums are not a lot, $35 a year. I mean, you can do whatever you want to with those. You can just dump them or you can keep paying or have the kids start paying $35 a year. I, I mean, it's, it's not enough money to really fuss about either way. But you start thinking about when you look for somebody who's really young buying a level term insurance policy, the premiums involved for massive coverage are teensy, teensy, tiny. As I go on and on about this, I feel like I'm filibustering because I'm trying to think what to do. The need for life insurance for the 19 and 21 year old really is when they're done with their educational cycle and they're bringing home a regular paycheck, and they have someone significant in their life, kids, a spouse, something like that, where it becomes important to provide replacement of income for those family members, that's really when the rubber meets the road and the right time to buy a life insurance policy that each of those kids would have and own. And so the child... Life insurance policies, I despise them. Coming ahead, I want to talk about something that is growing like rabbits and that storage facilities everywhere you look, what's that all about? And what do you and I need to know about them? I had never had a storage unit until we moved a few years ago from a big house to a fairly small condo, so we had a house worth the possessions. We went through months of culling the herd, giving things away to charity, selling things, giving things away to family members. And I remember we had this long hallway leading to the garage of our house, and we had signs along the hallway. This goes to Goodwill, this goes to whichever of our kids, you know, this we're selling. But even after we did all that, we had enough stuff that wouldn't fit in our condo that we weren't ready to part with. So I go and I rent a 10 by 20 storage unit in a temperature controlled facility. It was expensive. I mean, it was a lot. The average storage unit is somewhere around $160, $170 a month, somewhere in that range. And latest I saw was an item in the Wall Street Journal that one in 10 of us in America have one or more storage units. I mean, it's just something we do in America. And so my wife and I set a goal that we were going to have that storage unit for one year, and then we were going to be done. Well, it actually took us 16 months to get rid of it. But we, item by item, in the storage unit, got rid of things that we thought we wanted or figured out how to put them in use. And we were eventually were able to get rid of it. So we were paying for a 10 by 20. We were paying a lot three hundred and twenty two dollars a month which is roughly double what the average storage unit is in the country but we were in this relatively big one 200 square feet but it was just a terrible amount of money and i have a relative who will remain nameless who he and his wife have six of these now six storage units six i'm like horrified Who needs six of them? The thing about these storage units is a lot of times we end up spending more in rent over time than what the items in them are worth. And nobody else in the world does this with having storage units everywhere. I mean, you look, you drive down any commercial corridor and you see them one after another after another. Some of them look pretty fancy now. Some of them look kind of down and out, but they're there. It's because we have more retail space per person by far than any country on earth. We Americans love to shop, love to shop. We're not great savers in America, but we're good shoppers. And so we end up with things that we find we can't part with. Now, there are great circumstances why you would have a storage unit. You're relocating. A lot of times, somebody may have lost a job or they may have gone through a divorce and they're living with a relative or living with a friend and they have their possessions and they have to store them somewhere. And that is hopefully a temporary phenomenon until you get back on your feet. But when that unit is needed year after year after year after year, the question is is it really needed or are we married? our possessions that we don't seem to have a need for in our lives, but we're unable to give it up. So I failed. I didn't get out of that thing in the 12 months. Like I said, it took a few more months, but we're out. And it turned out if we had really thought it through, we never would have needed it in the first place. If you do know, though, you're going to need a storage unit for a significant period of time, and you can afford to, the rent can change at any time on a storage unit. But if you can prepay, let's say for potentially a year in advance or something like that, you fix the price and you avoid the big rent increase. Because what the companies know that rent us these things is they'll offer us a deal to move in. Then our stuff's there And very seldom will people say when they get a big rent increase, well, I'm going to go rent a truck, I'm going to pack everything up, and I'm going to move it somewhere else where I can pay a lower rent. They just suck it up and pay more money. So if you are in a position and you know you're going to need it for X period of months, if the unit you're at allows you to prepay for that period of time at the price you're at, grab that deal. Grace? How many storage units have you had in Europe? I have
0: never had one. You've never had one? No, I love getting rid of stuff, so I very seldom have. I also have a big basement. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) No, I just don't like to keep stuff. So your basement is like a storage unit? No, I keep like Christmas decorations in there. I love seeing Goodwill bags in my garage and getting rid of them. It It makes me feel good. But... Like you said, some people have different circumstances. I haven't been there yet. Uh, so I have a question from Chris in Texas. I am 47. My wife is 51 with two kids. There are 10 and 12. We both want to retire early in the next five years, and we've been saving aggressively the last several years and try to live within our means. How much per year should we budget for health insurance premiums for the next 10 to 14 years in early retirement before we're eligible for Medicare? Would pre-existing conditions or expensive biological medications that we're on increase our health insurance premium? We make about, $250,000 250000 per year currently, but we'll be making substantially less when we retire early. Thanks for all you do and your wonderful advice.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. And I love it that you're in a position to retire early to mid-50s. That is really wonderful. So the question you ask about health coverage is a crystal ball that is so cloudy it's impossible to predict, and here's why. It's completely dependent upon what a future Congress would decide. Right now, you mentioned in retirement you'll have substantially lower income, which will qualify you on the healthcare exchange at healthcare.gov for very heavy subsidies for premiums for health insurance for Just the next couple of years, but you're still working in that time period. We have no idea how health coverage is going to work later this decade or end of the 30s. There's not even a good educated guess as to what it will cost you for health coverage. So I have just the craziest suggestions, Chris. Number one, the whole idea of quitting work cold turkey is something a lot of people love doing, but you may find that that it wouldn't be the worst thing possible to work somewhere part-time where part-time workers qualify for health coverage. That that way you bring in just a little bit of income and you don't have the big question mark about how healthcare coverage is going to work. There are a number of employers, as we live in an era where we're an aging population, it's not as easy for employers to find workers, that more and more places offer these benefits and a variety of benefits to part-timers that used to be reserved just for full-timers. But there is no possibility of me being able to give you what that figure is going to be. By today's standards, you'd have to figure that without the subsidies, that the healthcare premiums, you're looking at a few thousand dollars a month for healthcare premiums. The prescription drug thing is usually not part of many individual health plans. So prescriptions, you're left trying to shop around in the marketplace so often, when you are just an individual or a family looking for prescription drugs.
0: That's a lot. Okay. I have one here from Ron in Michigan. I have an iMac late 2013. The computer works perfectly. However. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You have a computer from
1: prehistoric times? Your Mac from 2013 yeah. is
0: still cooking? I love it. You know,
1: this is like when the car companies show the reliability of their vehicles showing somebody who's got, you know, a million miles on their vehicle or whatever. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's impressive, Ron. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I thought I was rocking. I have an iPad from 2017 that works great. I want my kid plays with it. Anyways, from Ron. The computer works perfectly. However, I just became aware that both Safari and Google Chrome are no longer current. It seems Apple will no longer support uh, Mac operating system upgrades upgrades upgrades, that long ago. Right. I use this computer for my financial and retirement accounts. Is there anything I can do here? I'm concerned about using an old version of Safari, especially when I'm logging into my retirement account. Uh, Like you, I'm one to use things until they are no longer usable. My Mac still works great seems like a waste to throw it aside. Please help. So Ron,
1: this would be a case where I'm actually going to ask you don't open up your wallet. You can get on sale a new MacBook Air for often on sale for like $799 somewhere in that range, 700s. They'll be cheaper as we move into Black Friday season in November. but I'd rather you not wait that long. I don't want you going to financial accounts where you're vulnerable. Now, you could, if you have a current smartphone, you have a current iPhone or Android, you could on the apps for your retirement accounts, you could access them that way, and that would be a safe platform for you to do so. But definitely not on a computer where the browser's are not protected anymore, that's too dangerous. So I would really like you, as as wonderful as it is that you've stretched this to 10 years, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I know it's going to be hard for you to pry open that wallet. Go get the new MacBook Air. Or if you don't want to spend that much, get a Chromebook. Uh, Chromebooks are ultra safe for accessing financial accounts. And you can get a Chromebook for $100, $200 right in that range.
0: This one is from David in Wisconsin. You seem to find the fast food apps acceptable to finding good deals. I agree. However, I'm somewhat confused by these. These apps request numerous permissions to access just about everywhere in your phone. Is this not sharing personal information for the price of the burger? (laughs) How do you justify this? So David when
1: they're asking for permissions the one I give is location data only while using the app. So with these food apps if they're going to track your location as you're driving to them if you've ordered they need while you're using the app to be able to know when to start prepping your food and getting it ready for you. And so I give location permission only as for other permissions they ask for. So often, with any app that you download on your phone, they're going to ask for the world, and you got to think about what things they really need access to. I can't think of any reason that one of these restaurant apps would need anything other than location data from me. And so, take the time to look at the individual permissions, check those. And, you know, it's interesting what I've seen with more and more international companies. The permissions automatically are off for everything unless you specifically grant a permission. And I love being able to look at the list and see if there's any of them I want to give them permission to. And pretty much it's no to everything with any app, any website, Unless there's a compelling reason, I should give any access, any permissions to track. I want to thank you so much for being with us today on our podcast. Remember that we are here for you around the clock. The idea here is for you to be able to, whenever something's going on in your life, to be able to find information from us or somewhere else online available around the clock, and I believe in my heart that what we do at Clark.com actually gives you information that helps you make better decisions in a world full of confusing information and a lot of busyness in our lives. I want you, when you're trying to decide something, to be able to go somewhere where the information is clear. I believe it is always well intended and is not influenced by any advertiser ever, not ever and that's Clark.com and by the way if you ever need one-on-one advice we do that for free we've been doing so for nearly 31 years you can talk with a member of Team Clark 30 hours each week you can see how to do that what hours are available phone number the whole scoop at clark.com slash cac have a great day